This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello, welcome to the future of finance, the Motive Labs podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. Welcome back. You're joined by myself, Sam, and Simon McNamara of RBS. Welcome, Simon. Hi, Simon. Simon, this is going to be a lot of fun, namely because we've had a little preamble and some of the content I think could be quite juicy, but we're going to get stuck into the sensible stuff first (laughs) and then we can see where it goes. You've held a lot of senior leadership positions at financial services firms globally, from Westpac in Sydney to Stanchart in Singapore to today in RBS and I think technically probably based in Edinburgh. Yeah, that's where home is. Sunny Edinburgh. I get there occasionally. Yeah, I bet. And you've just got back from China. So genuinely a global citizen. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your journey to date and how you've ended up in the position you're in today? Yeah, no, I think actually uh, not for anything that was designed at the outset, but I've always enjoyed the challenge of working with people from different parts of the planet. I had the opportunity to do that very early on, actually working in the international business at Midland Bank, stroke Midland Montague. And I've just sort of followed my instinct over the years, and that's opened up opportunities in other parts of the world. So, you know, I've worked for a German bank, I've worked for a French bank. I've spent time, obviously, in obviously France and Germany with them. I lived and worked on the west coast of the States, in California, in Singapore and Australia, and now I, I live in Edinburgh. The thing that's taken me to all those places is actually the nature of the opportunity. It's always been taking and building upon what I've learned in my previous experiences, but always has a new dimension. So, you know, it was getting into retail for the first time seriously with Westpac, for example. It was picking up more on the operations side, uh, Standard Chartered on top of that. And then it's the very broad portfolio that I have today uh, at RBS. The other characteristic of that is it's always had to work for the family. So despite the fact it sounds like I've moved every 10 minutes and I've been around the world, I'm 85 years old and it's a very long career. And actually, I've spent quite a significant period of time in each of those places. So, uh, And therefore, the, you know, the kids at the end of the day went to two schools in two countries, which is wow. no more than most. I know that particularly given you, you've experienced lots of different cultures and lots of different technology environments around the world, you've got a deep interest in innovation and, and technology. I think, if I'm right, you uh, still spend a lot of time on the West Coast. Do you still go back there a lot? And what is it that you love about going back to the West Coast particularly? So I've been going to the West Coast since, I suppose, the early 80s, actually, work-wise. Wow. I've been there before just as a tourist. But when I first moved there to work substantially, which was at the end of the 80s, I just found it to be quite a liberating environment. Things that people thought about in other countries were things you did as opposed to think about in California. Mm -hmm. And I hate the phrase can do, but it does capture, you know, so we decided that we were going to do things and we, we could just do them when we made some things happen there that opened my eyes to the world of the possible which I've then had the opportunity to bring into each of the places ultimately I've uh, ended up working. So I always found the West Coast of the States to be a very intelligent adopter of new capability, but actually mm. turning it into outcomes. And I use that in word intelligent because I think it, you know, it applies. I actually then ended up spending some time with a French bank. I remember introducing the team in France to the West Coast of the States and I could see their assumption ahead of time was, you know, why are we going on the best databases in the world in France? Well, no, they're not, actually. And they assumed they were going to meet a bunch of people in sandals and, you know, really 
dysfunctional folk on the west coast of the states and i watched actually as some of the smartest people in france all engineers polytechnic and so on actually they were senior executives in a french bank meet a bunch of technology professionals running these firms in california and just the meeting of the minds you know smart people actually connecting around the world of the possible and so i've done that time and time again and opened you know many an eye to actually the world of the possible through the west coast of the states demonstrating how that can be done. It's interesting to hearing you talk about the can-do attitude and how you've taken that into other roles. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is a Henry Ford quote, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And it feels like that that particularly is something you've taken into the group CAO role. If I'm right, you're responsible for ops, change, technology, and a whole host of, of other things as well. How much has your mindset and your past experiences been critical in, in building the capability that is RBS now? I think actually, as I said earlier, the one characteristic of everything and every job I've had is that it's built upon a foundation of what I've done before. So it's not a completely white space, but then it's bringing some new areas of, I guess, responsibility and leveraging what I've learned there to those areas. And that tends to be a bit of an adventure, right? And so the opportunity really at RBS has been the whole shooting match, right? So as you quite rightly point out, you know, I'm responsible for the technology, I'm responsible for the operations, I'm responsible for transformation, I'm responsible for the innovation agenda, responsible for data analytics, responsible for payments, responsible for property, I'm responsible for the supply chain. That's a broad set of responsibilities at the end of the day. They're not, not related. I mean, they're actually a very sort of complementary package of, mm. of things at the end of the day. But some of those have been new to me, yeah, but they're built upon experience I have elsewhere. The one thing I'd bring to all that, though, is actually the, and it came through in what we announced we'd do with our transformation program, which was four things, right? Firstly, we said we'd build a resilient platform, which is actually saying what you do today has got to work, right? Second thing we said we'd do is actually simplify things. And that was basically, you know, making sure that actually some of the complexity that gets built up in that actually was engineered out and we had something that was easier for our customers to use and easier for us to actually manage mm -hmm. for a start. Third thing we said we do was actually be more efficient and actually unless you strive for efficiency through what you do then actually ultimately you build a legacy that's actually you collapse under the weight of in my experience. So constantly looking for efficiencies in what you're doing. And then importantly actually the fourth characteristic is to innovate. And so that's been the basis on which we've operated within uh, the bank. Now, your, your balance changes over time. It's very important at the outset that we focus on resilience because we didn't really have a foundation we could build upon. It was very distracting. Mm. If you spend all your time triaging today's issues, then you have no time to think. And over time, we've evolved more the innovation agenda. But those four elements have been critical in terms of the opportunity in all the different places that have worked and have been the foundation on which we've been doing things here. The innovation agenda has increasingly come to the fore over time, being you know the quietest participant in the set of four at the outset. You talk about not having had the foundations to, to necessarily build upon. It's definitely true that RBS has emerged as an innovation leader. I mean, we, we have the great pleasure of partnering with RBS as well as a number of banks around the world. And the stuff that's happening within the Royal Bank of Scotland is truly incredible. And Kevin, who heads innovation uh, and, and works very closely with you, you guys have created an amazing set of processes that allow for efficient decision-making, effective decision-making, and I guess agile innovation. And you've tackled some of the greatest consumer and client issues within those including 
SME banking, merchant services, challenger banking, supply chain finance, a whole host of different initiatives. What are some of the biggest trends that you're seeing that you think you're going to tackle 12, 18 months down the line? I think Kevin articulates this particularly well, actually, and Kevin, you know, head of innovation. But I think we've built a bunch of assets over time that actually allow us to operate in innovation space effectively, right? And then I look at the technology trends and I love the fact that everybody's talking about AI and expert systems. You know, I mean, I studied those at university in 1942 and mm-hmm. basically, you know, we used to program in Prolog and Lisp and you did a certain amount of stuff. And actually some of the first software we built were expert systems around a trading floor in that bank all those years ago. So this isn't new stuff. The point being, actually, the technology and the power that's come to us allows us to do more in those spaces and therefore... There's a considerable amount more that we will do that apprise intelligence in support of our customers using the power of that technology. The real undercurrent is actually the power of the technology driving what we've known for many years is what we'd like to do. You know, I wrote some software in 1942, again, that was actually voice activated, right? But I had a Votan card at the time that had a vocabulary that went up to 16 words. And therefore, it was somewhat limited in what you could do. Obviously, we've moved on substantially, but it's the power of the technology that's come behind. Yes, there are aspects of how that's... So, When I come to the trends, it's actually building upon the capacity that comes and actually what that opens up in terms of the world of the possible. So obviously I can be more intelligent more quickly. So we'll see more of this so-called intelligent systems, AI, work its way into the system. We'll see more of just the power actually of 5G, for example, basically uh, creating a space that allows us to do things. Now, when you come down to what that will mean, I don't know totally right. I mean, one of the things I'd say is if you go into it thinking you're going to predict the future, then good luck to you, right? You can clearly influence the future. Mm -hmm. The most important thing is to be in the mix. You know, the one thing that I learned from business school was to engage and see. I mean, Napoleon used to talk about that around the battlefield. You you could sit on the side, pontificate, speculate and so on. The only way we're going to find out was to send people in and see what happened, right? Yeah, Yeah. Well, that didn't work very well. Better try something else. But that's been our approach. And, and therefore, I don't know in the detail what we will create. All I know is we will create things that ultimately won't stand the test of time that we're going to basically have to curl. And we're going to create some things that are really going to work and resonate with our customers and provide a, you know, a fundamental different experience to them to the one that we've provided historically. So I think that's the, you know, the world of the possible of the future. You know, some of those trends, though, if you look at it, going back to that voice stuff, I love the fact that in a very short period of the history of mankind, will have communicated through keyboards. Yeah, we went for a few million years using voice, and then we introduced a typewriter, which allowed us to transfer stuff, you know, once we got past the chisel. And, uh, you know, we've got a keyboard, which is our interface. It's not particularly natural. And I think, you know, we're moving back to interfaces that are much more natural, you know, using voice for one and, you know, Maybe one day I met this this woman that came and uh, spoke at our Disrupt event last year who yeah. was basically putting probes into people's brains and actually downloading experiences and uh, okay. and looking to try things. So you go, well, okay, I mean, maybe I'll just think about it. Isn't that the Matrix? That's in fact, that's in exactly that what Elon Musk is. Yeah, there's a lot of things that actually don't really work. So I like the image. It's very difficult to do this, you know, as, as we talk, but... Uh, you, know, you see in these movies with the people moving the stuff around on the screens, their hands in front of them. Yeah, Minority you know, Report style. That's right. Well, you can't do that for very long. Have you ever tried it? Trying to get your holes out. You know, it's a bloody stupid thing to do, right? So actually, we're much more naturally able to keep our hands down here and so on. So yeah, yeah. that isn't going to be the future. Yeah. Unless we get a bunch of, you know, arm extensions and some things that strengthen our, our yeah. arms. 
The Elon Musk podcast was fascinating, primarily because he consumed all sorts of things during the podcast. But he made this statement where the only thing slowing us down now is the speed of our thumbs against a keyboard. Why wouldn't you have the chip in your head? And I think his company Neuralink is doing exactly that, which for some is terrifying, for some is exciting. So one of the things I'd love to talk to you about, I guess I was going to start the question with how far into ancillary industries and services do you think the banks will go? But one of the most recent things I'd love to ask your view on is Libra. So obviously Facebook's digital currency, they brought a whole load of stakeholders, 27 I think of them, together who all represent different parts of the industry that will catalyze consumer adoption. And I think we might be... Except for a bank. Exactly. At the moment. But that 28, including Facebook, is meant to rise to 100. So I guess the question is, will there be an opportunity for banks? To there might well be, yeah. And do you think that's something, maybe it's not something you're able to answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Is that something LBS can play in? Is that something LBS would want to play in? Where do you see Libra going? Well, I think we're very open mind. We have a good relationship with Facebook. We certainly talk to these guys. We'll see how that develops. I mean, I think all these initiatives, I mean, I, I love the fact that people think that you know, we should be super defensive about things and so on. Actually, at the end of the day, actually working with others is actually the foundation of creativity and so on. Actually, there's a lot of interesting things that are emerging in the partnerships that we have already with some of these firms, right? Mm -hmm. We spend quite a lot of time actually looking at what we might be able to do together. And also in the principle of actually keeping your friends close but your enemies even closer, then, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that's not a bad principle and who knows where some of this stuff sits, right? So... So definitely have a very open mind to what the world of the possible might be there and, and we'll see. Coming back to your original point, what we've never really understood is the privileged position we're in, right? And that at the end of the day, we have a significant relationship and a very important relationship with a large number of businesses and a large number of people. And... There is a lot more we can do in that community than just, do you want a loan? Do you want a loan? Do you want a loan? Right? Do you want a credit card? Do you want a credit card? Do you want a credit card? And actually that network and being part of that network, and I think that has value to those participants, that's our customers, commercial customers and, and personal customers, that has to be a value to us in the context. Of that. But it also has to be a value to others that can work with that community. And some of them quite, you know, quite likely to be customers and partners. That's the reality of, you know, you can't have, I think, 40% of commercial banking in the UK and not have pretty much covered the bases. Yeah. So the probability that all the people we partner with aren't customers, all the people that we have as customers aren't partners isn't feasible either. So I think as we explore how that community actually works and our contribution to it and our very privileged position in it, you know, I think uh, after your health, you know, your finance is up there. And by the way, your finance is pretty closely related to your health, as we discovered. So uh, so what can we do? And you'll see, actually, there's a product that we've launched recently called MIMO. And it stands for money in, money out. But what it really stands for is it's there to be your, and there are connotations, it's because the words have been used first, but personal financial assistant, right? And in that, it's looking at supporting you in your personal financial well-being. And that's not your investment product, your investment product. Because actually, the things that you care about more immediately and often are remembering to pay your credit card bill, or actually getting the best deal out of those that you pay your money away to. And we have a very privileged mm -hmm. position. We see where it goes. So, its whole premise is actually being your assistant. 
Now, we toyed with, you know, do we do that independently of the bank? Because actually, can we be trusted as the bank to be your personal financial assistant as well? But actually, we do know a lot, and we're in a privileged position. Open banking, obviously. And you're more well trusted to be that person. Well, maybe, maybe. I'd, I'd like to think that. But also, at the same time, we need to be very conscious of conflicts of interest. And I think, therefore, we're erring absolutely to make it demonstrably clear that actually this is in your interest and will be the beneficiary downstream if you find value in it as opposed yeah. to... Because in the past, it was true. You know, a lot of our analysis was who's most likely to take a loan from us and therefore let's ask them whether they want a loan would be the nature of our insights and analysis. Now I'm saying, actually, what do you really care about? And it's making sure that actually you've paid your credit card bill on time and that if you have a a service that's not working well for you at the present moment from honest perspective, we can introduce you to somebody that might do a better job for you. Yeah. Your choice, you're in control, right? At the end of the day, if you don't want to pay your credit card, you don't have to, but at least we've told you it's due today. So these are sort of important sort of sitting in your seat as a customer and basically doing what you would really articulate as your needs mm. and then basically turning that into a set of services that fulfill those needs and enhance your financial well-being. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes a, makes a lot of sense. It's incredible talking to you about. I mean, I guess the the integrity that a bank now has, not just as a regulated entity, but because of what a lot of the banks have been through. You know, out of the hottest fires come the strongest steels, which is a, a favourite mm. saying. I think of our mutual friend Alistair. That integrity that the banks now have is is not seen in many other industries. And if you think about what some of the big technology firms are doing, where they and they'll remain nameless, but have listening devices in your homes that are downloading data all the time to then provide what they think is uh, useful insights for you in an opt-in, opt-out basis that you're not really sure if you ever opted it in or opted out. That's so scary. So, uh, actually, and I think that's where you start to see how we've changed, right? So we launched a product a year back, which took the legal documents that we distributed to our customers and turned them into what you need to know type English statements. Said what this, you know, what it says, <laughs> and what you need to know. Right? Yeah. And why? Because actually, we recognise the fact that these documents were serving our purpose in terms of making sure that we were protected, but actually were clearly not understood in their detail yeah, by yeah. the customer. You know, I heard a quote somebody the other day said actually, if I read every single legal document that was presented to me as I went to use services in a year, right, then 76 days of the year would be occupied with just reading those legal notices. So that tells you everything, right? Clearly nobody is spending 76 days of their year reading the legal notices that allow them to do everything else. That's an awesome stat. (laughs) Yeah, so it's just a nonsense, right? So, So then I come back to what's your intent where are you coming from? And you see organizations learning that actually it's in their interest, and this is we learned the hard way, to do what the customers value yeah, and what they know they're signing up to, to ultimately be the beneficiary because they value those services and not turn that the other way around. We used to think giving people a loan was how we made money, so we should encourage people to take a loan. Yeah. yeah. Right? Obviously, we want to be responsible. We want people to overextend themselves, et cetera, et cetera, but actually we're going to sell a loan. Now we're saying, actually, what do you care about? What can we do to basically help you yeah. basically better manage your finances? And by the way, if that involves a loan, then you know we'll help you decide that. But it's yeah. not the front of the, the queue in many respects. It's on the back of the queue. It may not be in the queue at all. Most of the guests on this podcast read our newsletter every week. So we thought you'd enjoy it too. It's called Brain Food. It comes out every Sunday morning and it's packed with all the things you need to know about financial services and technology. You can subscribe at motivepartners.com. 
we're going to go back to the West Coast. So for anyone who, who's, who wants to go to the West Coast to meet interesting people, I mean, you just have to go to the Rosewood Hotel to meet a unicorn. There's a great mingling place you could go to anywhere. That's well right. But also, you know, one of the things I learned, I mean, you know, my first job was in the UK, right? And I also went to university in the UK. And when I was in the university in the UK, I did a whole bunch of stuff with Berkeley because that was the university that was affiliated where I was. And we were getting copies of BSD Unix, as it was at the time, Ingress, which was the database, and all this stuff that was coming out of the States. But it was very distant. You move to California, you think, blimey, that Bob Epstein used to send me a copy of Ingress, right? He's now running Sybase. They seem to be doing okay. We need a database. This is before they were public. Yeah. I'm going to phone him up. So one, you're in a bit of a startup mode. So actually, you haven't got a team of 50 people and go away and sort it. It's you, right? So you'd basically phone up Bob Epstein and say, oh, by the way, you know, remember me? You used to send me a copy of this stuff. You've got Sybase. We could do with some help. We need, you know, a database to run our software in. Can we work with you? And you go, yeah, sure, you know. He didn't say, actually, I'm really, really busy and very important. Actually, I run this software company. They'd say that now, probably, but yeah. No, but, and, but no, that's true. I mean, I can tell you for a fact that we were using PCs at the outset and the PCs were clearly running out of steam. And so we actually found a company called Sun and said to a guy called Scott McNeely, who happened to be running at the time, we wouldn't mind using your computers because actually you've got a lot of power in here. And Unix was the operating system that I'd used yeah. at university, luckily, right, because actually I didn't quite know what I was stumbling into and it could have been, you know, so it was a very forward-looking course that I did. And he said, fine. And then actually, whether he meant it or not, but he said it, he stood on a stage at one of our events later and he said, I was basically running this model where actually I was going to build these computers, sell them to the schools, and when everybody grew up, they were all going to buy my computers. And these two blokes walked into my office and said, if you take this stuff from financial institutions, they're basically crying out for this stuff. They haven't got yeah, the power yeah. to run this stuff. And he said, because of that, I turned my whole axis towards selling into financial institutions, and obviously the rest is history. And you look at that and you think, shit. Right? So whether that's, you know, and I'm sure there are other influences and so on and so forth, but it's a statement that the guy made. And you go, all we did was basically front into the things and say, let's ask. Yeah, I mean, other examples, there was um, some stuff we actually did with, with Microsoft. And again, mm. Microsoft were known as a company that were focused on individual computers at the time, not network computers. And remember having the conversation with them. And we ended up with one of our engineers sitting there writing effectively some of their code to network stuff because they weren't convinced that they needed it. And eventually, obviously, the rest again is history. So I think... The point really is, rather than being distant and things that magical people do, you suddenly realise that actually right. you could be a participant in that and actually people didn't go into closed rooms and think it through and work it out, back to that engage and see thing, interaction with us, their customers, us with our customers, and therefore we build our whole business on, okay, so what works for you? And I come and back that, to... That the cat's ink. Yeah, it was, yeah, so the work that we did there. And then you yeah. come back to, you say, we had three types of customers. I've said this many times, but actually, you know, we had customers who gave us money who were smart, but they went on and did their thing. We had customers that ultimately gave us money that didn't necessarily understand all that, didn't really contribute much to us. But the ones that we really valued, and to be honest, we would have given the software away to free, but we didn't have to, were those that really rolled up their sleeves and engaged in and understood and actually helped us develop our proposition. So our whole proposition was built upon insights that came from people who were very knowledgeable in the industry that were prepared to spend some time with us. And so we basically got, you know, free consulting out of, you know, out of our customers effectively to develop something ultimately they were going to buy. And so you learn a lot from those experiences, you know, in terms of how you build things that people value, how you actually get access to. And if you don't ask, you don't get type stuff. And I think... Uh, that combination of things is 
often not understood and, and from my own schooling and so on, I didn't think that was necessarily the world of the possible. So coming back to the West Coast of the States and going back there, I go back there to remind myself on occasion of the world of the possible and actually no. pick up the phone and uh, or you know drop somebody a line and the worst thing that can happen is um, you get nowhere. And yeah. in my experience, that's rarely the case. You answered the question before I even really asked no, I it. I thought which I would was, I thought I'd preempt that. Well, that, was, that was quality, right? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And I completely agree with you. The energy in the US, I, I don't get over to the West Coast so much, but we obviously have our New York office. Yeah. And the energy over there, it's incredible. There's this optimism and momentum that you, yeah. you don't get here. Now, there's a lot of stuff you get over here that you don't get over there, but I, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm a big fan. A couple questions on an area that's very close to our heart on on talent and leadership yeah. we always ask people specifically about those let's talk about rbs i mean the people that i've had the, the pleasure and, and privilege to get to know rbs are awesome from kevin down to tom mccann who's now on the west coast doing fintech scouting yeah. it, it's just an, an environment that seems to breed learning and, and talent how have you gone about building that capability at rbs well, or was it always there well i think the talent's often there I do think we've helped build and enhance that. So we didn't go out and recruit a whole bunch of people. You know, there's one thing I really hate. It's like everybody here is a numbnut and everybody out there is a genius. So let's get rid of the numbnuts and bring in some geniuses, right? Actually, it turns out that you got rid this, of this of bunch people. of numbnuts go and get a job somewhere else and actually are valued by somebody. And this bunch of geniuses aren't quite as smart as you, you know. So I think we've done a lot to really focus on what we could lift in terms of the contribution of those within the organization and lifted a few heads giving people a space in which to operate. Importantly, actually, how people work together. I think you know, one of the things that I think is the most powerful is actually, you know, if you look at our innovation agenda and how that was created, there is no one person. You know, Kevin very kindly says, well, Simon did this, and I very kindly said Kevin did this. But actually, collectively, a whole bunch of people have created something. That includes my boss, Ross. That includes Alison, who runs a commercial business, Les, who runs, you know. And between us, we've created something that's actually quite special, I think, Right. And that's really working together. That's actually looking to do some of the things I talked about earlier. We've experimented in that space. There's been no expectation of perfection. But in the process, we've generated and created some things that are better than we would have done otherwise. That's one aspect. I do think getting a focus around outcomes has been very important, right? So actually saying to people, just really work out what you're going to look to achieve and then find the path to achieve it. Because actually it's so interesting that we can occupy ourselves and, and work, but actually the outcome shouldn't be just an accident, right? It should deserve some conscious thought. It may not happen. It may not be a value that you thought. You may pivot, right? I love this word pivot, which means actually, you know, you pick the wrong outcome and then you got a new one, right? But um, but that, that's fine, right? That's the reality of what I think we created. It's okay as well to evolve your direction over time. It's okay to ask others for help. You don't need to demonstrate perfection in yourself because actually the power comes in actually the collection of, of skills you bring together. So I think that's part of what's been nurtured there. And it's not, you know, it's not what I've done. That's what we've done collectively as a team. I was saying actually earlier, I was talking to some journalists earlier and I remember when I first joined and I walked into the office and as I walked through the office, I just said hello to everybody and nobody said anything back to me. And I thought, this is a little strange, right? Maybe it's just Scotland, you know. <laughs> but uh, it was really weird. Because it wasn't the culture, it wasn't the... So I also think as well that part of what's changed in RBS is it's okay to say hello. It's okay to say hello, Simon, by not, you know. It's also okay to say, Simon, what do you think if I did this? Or by the way, Simon, I heard you did this. Or Simon, actually, what do you think? You know, or, 
or me to say to somebody actually you know, what are you doing right I, I mean, i've just witnessed you being very human you know, humanizing yourself hmm. photobombing a colleague which was which was jovial on the on the hmm. walk in and that kind of respect that sort of mutual affection i think is is a really great way to bring out the best in everyone because they then feel they can express their creativity well, i just think people are need to be comfortable right they need to feel that they can actually be themselves you know people there's a spectrum diversity is a wonderful thing as well right and you want that diversity but introversion doesn't mean to say that you have to basically yeah. look at your feet the whole time you know there's a spectrum right so you do need to understand and have some sense to the different needs of people so you do need to find the way to connect to and to get the best out of everyone and it's not the same for you know, it's actually different for different people. Yeah. And that starts with the civility of saying hello and actually having some interest in uh, in each other. We are nearly at the end. One final question for you. I'd like to ask this to people. You've had a, an extremely long career. You, you don't yeah, look like you have. years, I know. You don't, you don't look like it. Still got incredible. my own teeth, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want whatever you're using. Um, <laughs> Glue. <laughs> who have been some of your, your big mentors through your career? We said you've been all over the world, different organisations. I'm sure there's been many, but can you cite a few of them and why maybe? Yeah, no, I actually, I, I don't want to sound tacky, but actually, you know, not almost everybody I've met, but a lot of people I've met, right? So I'm always interested in learning from others, right? It's a sort of a gift I got from my mother, which is a level of interest and curiosity, right? I think in a constructive way. I've learned a lot from graduates. I learned a lot in my own graduate time. Then from somebody that gave me the space as a graduate to do things, I've learned a lot from graduate since. And I go, wow, you know, look what can be done. I love the fact, actually, all these people that are failed graduates build companies and are very successful. And then we think, you know, some graduate's not going to be ready for 20 years to be able to basically, you know, go and get lunch for people. So Age is the next paradigm of diversity, I think. And that's a whole other... Yeah, I think that's right. But actually, I think that's exactly right. And I think... Therefore, you want that breadth of perspective, but we dramatically underestimate the capabilities and the capacity of people in our organisation. Therefore, I've learned a lot from people that have shown me the way to get more out of the people that work with you, for you, and you work for. You know, I get as much out of Ross as I think, you know, he gets out of me, if you know what I mean. And so... Just learning from those that are around you. And I don't like all these tridisms and so on, but actually, you know, I think if you ever lose that thirst for, for learning, then what's the point in my I mind? And I think, yeah, so, yeah, so I'm constantly interested in seeing what's been affected, what hasn't been affected, and, and listening to, to what other people have to say. Or, or observation's a very powerful thing as well. Often, I mean, I can't articulate half the time what it is that I think, but actually, you know, people watching go, bloody hell, look what he did. Actually, yeah, that sort of makes sense, right? So, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, for sure. And one thing I am sure of is that there's not going to be a shortage of learning for future generations. John Thompson, in fact, on mm. one of these podcasts said, the rate of change will never be as slow as it is again today. And that, to me, is one of the most exciting things. For some, it's terrifying, but we're all going to be able to learn so much more. It's very exciting. And, I can understand uh, why it is terrifying, by the way, but also, you know, to your point, we have to collectively help everybody understand that actually it's really exciting, you know, that people no longer do tasks that allowed them to live to 40 years old because it wore them out because we found the technology way to move on. You say the pace increases, but we have to continue to harness this for the better of all, right? And that's that's both the opportunity and the challenge, but that has to be a very exciting thing. Lots of people are doing things today that don't optimise their work 
their well-being and so on. So uh, That's what the World Wide Web Foundation are based here, are focused on creating mm-hmm. a responsible, sustainable future for all through the web. Thank you, Simon. Look, there's a ton of stuff that I could summarize, but I'm going to take away just, just one thing, which is the can-do attitude. I, I, I love that. That was inspirational. Thank you. No, thanks, mate. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's been good. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motive partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no obligation obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.